You know, one of the things that I uh, try to do each year is to read through the Bible, read, read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I think it's a great way to kind of discipline yourself to be in the Word each and every day. Uh, it sometimes can be a little bit of a task because you read through Genesis to Revelation, there's a lot there, but uh, I think it's just a great way to get in the Word each and every day. And there are some great plans out there uh, that do it different ways. You don't have to read straight from Genesis to Revelation, that's one way, but there's, there's different plans to read through the Bible in, in a year. And uh, if you're not doing that, then I would encourage you to do that. And I know that there are uh, many of you that are probably doing that, some that I know for sure because uh, we've talked about it. But uh, if you're not, I would encourage you uh, to, to do that. Of course, with, regardless of whether or not you're reading through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation or reading through it in a year, the, the, the whole point is to be in the Word as much as we can, to be reading God's Word as much as we can. But I think there is something powerful about reading through the entire Bible. And one of the neat things, even for me, is that as you read through the Bible, especially through books that you don't typically read through, like Leviticus, you know, just throw that out there. Uh, maybe some of the minor prophets, you know, we, we don't typically read through them a, a, as much. But when you're reading through these books, especially the ones that you don't read through a, as much, you'll come across a passage and you'll think, oh, I, I forgot that was in the Bible. I, I, I kind of forgot that that was in there. Of course, the flip side is that I've also had the experience of realizing that Many things that we just assume are in the Bible aren't actually in there. And that can be a problem. Maybe you've heard the story of the man who was pulled over for speeding and the officer asked to see his driver's license. And the man said, well, I don't have a valid driver's license. And the cop said, well, can I see your car registration then? And the guy said, well, I, I stole this car, but I think I saw something in the glove box when I put my gun in there. You've got a gun, the officer said. And the guy said, how else was I going to rob a bank? The money is in the trunk. Well, immediately the officer called for backup and pretty soon six police cars with sirens blazing and lights flashing surrounded this guy and they, they got him out of the car and they kind of sprawled him over the hood as they searched him. And the sergeant in charge quickly discerned that this guy does actually have a valid driver's license. Uh, it is his car. It's not stolen. There is no gun. There is no money. And so he asked the guy, he says, my officer said that you robbed a bank, you had a gun, you stole a car, and you didn't have a license. And the man said, yeah, and I bet he told you I was speeding too. Well, we are starting a new series today called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And in this series, we're going to be exploring some popular sayings and beliefs that so often are held up as scripture, but really aren't scripture. Things that may sound biblical or may, may, things that we may desperately even want to be biblical, things that may, may even have traces of biblical truth in them, but the reality is that the Bible just doesn't say that. Mark Twain once said, it ain't what you know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And there's so much wisdom in that, especially when it comes to the Bible, because many know for sure notions that they think are in the Bible that just aren't in there. For example, what verse is this? God helps those who help themselves. Where do you find that in the Bible? Well, you don't. 
you can find it, though, in First American 1776, because that's an American value, but it's not in the Bible. Or how about this verse? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, that's got to be in the Bible, right? I mean, many of us had moms or grandmothers that consistently told us that when we were a kid, but actually it's not in the Bible. You can find it, though, in Grandma's Wisdom 3.16. That's where you, you would find it. You see, again, we, we all have these popular sayings and, and cliches that fit well on a bumper sticker or on a refrigerator magnet or on a sign on our wall, and they're given the weight of Scripture without actually being Scripture. In fact, some of them are not just not in the Bible, but they're actually unbiblical. And that can be dangerous. So back in 1999, there was an earthquake in Turkey that destroyed a village in the mountains. But here's the backstory. 30 years prior to that, the Turkish government had gone to that village and said, you have built this town right on top of a major fault line. And, and you need to move the homes because we don't know when an earthquake is going to come, but it will. And you've built your homes in this village right on top of this fault line. But they didn't want to go through the hassle. And so they convened an assembly and they got out the regional maps and they redrew the fault lines. And for 30 years, it gave everybody peace and accelerated real estate values until the earthquake came. Because truth will always and ultimately reveal where the lines need to be drawn. And you can believe something is true, and if it proves not to be true, it can be devastating. Because sounds true will not set you free. Sounds true will not set you free. You know, last week we celebrated Easter and the resurrection of Jesus, and we talked about how his comeback has implications for our lives not just on the other side of the grave, which it does for, for eternity, but, but on this side of the grave here and, and, and now, that there is power in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not just to save us eternally so that we can go to heaven and we can live in heaven someday, but to, to save us here and now, to bring salvation to our lives here and now so that we can live on this earth while we're still alive. The Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, listen to this, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. In other words, the same power that is available to you and me in Jesus Christ is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And so Jesus in resurrection power wants to set us free to experience the life that he died for us to have. And yet far too many people live in bondage because of things they think are true that just ain't so. Jesus said the truth will set you free. But sounds true will not. In fact, sounds true will only lead you into deeper heartache and disillusionment and bondage. It doesn't matter how hard you believe it or how much you believe it. Sincerity alone does not guarantee liberty. 
You can believe your way right into bondage and disaster. And many people have done that because they've lived their lives by maps with redrawn lines, lines that do not show up on God's map. Let me give you some examples. God has a plan for your life. Now that has to be true, right? Because I saw that on a coffee mug in a Christian bookstore. So that has to be true, but where is it in the Bible? Or how about this? God will never give you more than you can handle. Now that must be true because I saw that on a poster somewhere. But where does the Bible say that? Everything happens for a reason. Now I know that's true because I saw that on Facebook and you can't put it on the internet unless it's true, right? But where do you find that in the Bible? You see, the danger in these little sayings and cliches that we buy into and tell people is that when they don't work, people get mad at God for not keeping promises that he never made in the first place. What you know that just ain't so will not help you go free. Or to put it another way, it does not follow that what you follow is true just because it sounds True. For example, what about the phrase that we're going to hone in on this morning? Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. We hear this all the time. We give it as counsel to people needing advice or something similar to it. Like just go with your gut. Just let your conscience be your guide. Just do whatever your heart is telling you to do. So what book does that come from? What verse in the Bible does that come from? Well, actually, you don't find it in the Bible, but where you will find it is, where you will find it is in Song of Disney 2021. That's where you will find it. Song of Disney uh, chapter 20, verse 21, because that is not in the Bible. In fact, the Bible kind of says the exact opposite. And Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? And lean not on your own understanding. Don't, don't depend on what you feel inside or what you may think is the right way to go. You don't trust your heart. You trust the Lord with your heart. Because here's the thing you've got to know about your heart. The Bible is very, very consistent in saying that my heart is not a trustworthy moral compass. My heart and your heart, they are not trustworthy moral compasses. You see, behind the saying, follow your heart, is the belief that your heart will always take you to the right place if you just have the courage to obey it and be led by it. And I think that's built on a faulty assumption that we have within ourselves the inner moral resources to always choose the good, the right, the best, the most noble thing. But is that true? Isn't it actually more true that we have an amazing capacity to underestimate how much we overestimate ourselves. Let me illustrate. I saw a story not too long ago about a matchmaking website that helps people who want to meet other people and you know maybe you know work something out in a dating relationship, helps them to meet online and, and to connect. And so you fill out this profile so that they can match you with someone who is similar in your interests and, uh, and goals and likes and dislikes. And one of the questions, though, that they ask is, are you a genius? They ask everybody, are you a genius? And two out of every five people say, yes, 
I am a genius. Now, I don't know what the percentages are of people who actually are geniuses. Um, I know to join a group like Mensa, which is like a high IQ society, I think you have to be in like the 98th percentile. And so generously, maybe we could say that one out of every 100 people qualifies as a genius. But two out of every five <laughs> think they are. By the way, to break it down further, 30% of one sex consistently said, I am a genius. 50% of the other sex said, yeah, I'm a genius. Any guesses on which sex that was? It was the men, right? Which I could have told you that because, well, I'm kind of a genius, right? So, but we underestimate our capacity to, uh, we underestimate our capacity to overestimate how good and wise and moral we really are. The Bible is much more pessimistic about our inner moral compass. Let me just show you a few verses, like Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You see, all through the Bible, what you read is God's word saying that the heart is not the solution. The heart is the problem. You're too hard-hearted. Your heart is too prone to wander away from the Lord. It's going to want what you want, not necessarily always what God wants. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, as he reflects on the rebellion of all humanity and how God turned us over to the consequences of our rebellion, he says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. Because far too often our heart's desire is to do things that are an affront to God and his will for our lives. All kinds of damage has been done in this world by people who followed their hearts. Many people have been hurt by others who were just following their hearts. People wind up in all kinds of bondage. People are literally in prisons today because they followed their heart. They just simply followed their heart, right? And if you're not convinced yet, let me give you a quote from the wisest man who ever lived and who knew human nature better, better than anyone else. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 15, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. And you know it's true. And so do I. Every one of us can look back at, at some point in our life and we wish we had a do-over, something we regret because we followed our heart. We didn't listen to wisdom. We didn't follow what God desired, but we followed our heart and we wished we hadn't. And my guess is that everyone here can look back with thanksgiving at some time in your life when you were glad that you didn't follow your heart. You can look back now and you're glad you didn't take that job. You're glad you didn't make that investment, that you didn't marry that person that your heart at the time was so infatuated with. You see, our hearts are too easily deceived. This, by the way, is one concern I have with myself or with anyone who would say that the primary reason they know that what they're doing is the right thing in a particular circumstance is because of the inner peace they feel in their heart. That's not always a good enough reason. Because what if the reason we feel peace is because our actions are in sync with a corrupted heart 
And our corrupted heart and our seared conscience is getting exactly what it wants in that particular circumstance. You can do something totally wrong and have total peace in your heart about it. And we all know that we can convince our hearts that something is right because we don't want it to be wrong. And if we just keep doing it long enough, then our heart will be okay with it. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, I just don't see how God could think it's wrong to follow your heart. And that person has already convinced themselves that what they're doing isn't wrong because their heart so desperately wants it to be okay. Now, let me say this. The heart can be an effective yellow light. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 14, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law, that they know right from wrong when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they, tell them they are doing what is right. I want to listen to this, this passage, the same passage from the message version. Listen to how it puts it. When outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There's something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. And so I, I say that to say the heart can be an effective yellow light in many ways. And, and if your conscience is bothering you, then you need to stop and step back and ask why and kind of make, make an evaluation of, of, of what's going on. But while the heart can be a trustworthy yellow light, it is not a trustworthy green light. Don't go do something just because the heart says to or wants to. The heart has a voice, but the heart should never be given the final say because the heart is not very discerning. But here's the good news. While the heart's not very discerning, the heart can be discipled. And so the heart does not need to be followed, but the heart does need to be led. I'm always reminded of a line from the movie Fireproof. If you haven't seen that movie, it's a great movie starring Kirk Cameron. Uh, but one of the characters, one of the other characters says to Kirk Cameron, who's the main character, he says, man, don't just follow your heart because your heart can be deceived, but you've got to lead your heart. It's a powerful scene in the movie and it's powerful. Uh, it's a powerful line because it's so true. And you can train your heart where it needs to go. And, and listen, we do this all the time. I mean, how many things in your life do you not feel like, this is just a simple example, how many things in your life do you not feel like doing, but you do them? How many things in your life do you do now on a consistent basis that you didn't feel like doing at the start, but you knew that it was good for you or for your health or good for your relationships. Maybe it was something your spouse or your kids were interested in doing and you just weren't interested in it, but you know what? You led your heart into doing those things and liking those things because you love the people who like to do them as well. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of things that we may not have felt like doing at the time, but we led our hearts into doing them. I mean, this is just a true life principle across the board. You can disciple 
your heart. Jesus gave the most universally true example of this in Luke chapter 12. He's talking about possessions and money. And and he asked the question, why do you think God blesses you with money? So that you can fill up your closet with clothes that are just going to get eaten by moths? Did God give you all this money and resources just so that you could fill up your garage with, with stuff that's going to rust or so you can have the biggest barn on the block? Jesus said, no. God entrusted you with resources to invest in people and eternal things. And then he said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus did not say you put your money where your heart is. Jesus says your heart goes wherever you put your money. Do you want to have more passion for the things of God? Then invest more of your time and more of your talents and more of your money into eternal things and your heart will follow. Jesus said so. Our hearts are not designed to be gods in which we believe. Our hearts are designed to believe in God. Jesus in John chapter 14 did not say, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in your heart. What he said was, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in me. So you don't follow your heart as a way to obey God. You decide to obey God and your heart will follow So a few years ago, there was a movie that came out called 42 about the great Jackie Robinson and and, and his story, the first African-American to play in in Major League Baseball. And the two main characters in the movie are Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey. Jackie Robinson is played by um, the late uh, actor Chadwick Boseman and Branch Rickey is played by uh, Harrison Ford, which that's just his stage name. We all know him as Han Solo, right? But um, there's, you know... Branch Rickey is, there's a scene in the movie where Branch Rickey is explaining uh, to Robinson. He says, if we do this, if I put you on the field, you can't just be a great player. You must be a great man. Because everywhere we go, you're going to face unrelenting expressions of racism. And if they curse you and you curse back, all people are going to hear is what you said. If they fight you and you fight back, all people are going to see is what you did. And Ricky goes on to say, your enemy will be out in force. This is a powerful scene. He says, your enemy will be out in force and you cannot meet him on his own low ground. And Robinson says, so you want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back. And Ricky says, no, no. I want a player who's got the guts not to fight back. By the way, you should know that both Ricky and Robinson were both strong Christians. And what Ricky was saying is don't don't let the heart and the instincts take over, but be the man Jesus called you to be. You see, whether you're doing it on purpose or not, you are discipling your heart. So the question of the day then is, how are you leading your heart? Are you leading your heart by letting obedience trump feelings? Because the heart does not tell us what is right. The heart does not define what is right and wrong. Jesus does. God's word does. And right now, probably every single one of us has at least one area of our lives where Jesus is calling. 
but your heart is stalling. But follow your heart, that's not in the Bible. Here's what the Bible does say, though. I need to follow Jesus with all my heart. I need to follow Jesus with all my heart. You don't wait on your heart. You lead your heart. And Jesus knows that it's hard. He knows our hearts are stubborn. But I believe with all my heart that if you will follow him, he'll see to it that your heart won't get left behind. Because he truly is the king of hearts. And he's not in the business of cutting the heart out of you. In fact, he's in the business of restoring unto you the kind of heart that God desired for you to have all along. A heart that's fully alive and in line with his will for your life. So in the midst of a culture that says, follow your heart, how about you and I be a people who say, I'm following Jesus.